0: So I was testing different uh, recommendations. I was extrapolating the data in a way that, that I could show people how it was working for me. So, For example, one of my, the most popular things I did that, that generated quite a bit of traction was I did a five day water fast. And I got, a lot of, I, I got to speak to a lot of people because of that, who wanted to understand more about both my experience, but also understand more about the, how I was getting those insights and those kind of like that guidance about what was going on in my body. Just doing that without having any software built from the get-go, that was my MVP. So there was nothing there. My name is George. I'm the founder and CEO of Basis Health.
1: This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lappart. And today, how George, George is using your wearable data to put your health on autopilot. All this and more on Code Story. George, George is originally from a small island in Europe called Cyprus. He grew up there, joined the army and competed in track and field and in triathlons. He came to Los Angeles in 2005 for studies and has been stateside ever since. He's a passionate polymath, speaking quite a few languages, and regularly takes on new challenges. In learning these languages, he finds that it helps him to break down barriers in connecting with people. George has been in the health tech space for some time. When he started working on designing a pacemaker, he interviewed surgeons who were working on patients with metabolic illnesses, Seeing these illnesses, which are lifestyle driven, was very formative for his mission to automate a healthy lifestyle. This is the creation story of Basis Health.
0: On a very high level, Basis is using artificial intelligence to build your optimal day. This is meant for people who already have a wearable device. So Apple Watch, Aura, Whoop, Fitbit, any one of those we're already integrated with. And we also work with your calendar data. There's two key ingredients basically to what we're doing and to our unique selling proposition. One is most of the wearables have companion apps that give you a lot of data and insights to help you figure out how to be, you know, understand what's going on in your body. But the truth is we've had hundreds of interviews at this point. People are really disappointed with those apps. They give them a bunch of data, insights that are great, but no one really has time or even the training to understand how to apply those things every day in their life. Every single day you have to make multiple decisions from the moment you wake up you know like every single decision you, you you make is has some kind of domino effect on how well you perform that day but also how it trickles into the rest of the week and the month and and even long term right It's one of those things where AI and software is really like way way better for than humans to to do a lot of that grunt work but then the second thing is one of the things that has been a challenge for many of the other products to figure out how to make those AI recommendations fit in your life was not knowing what your schedule looked like, looks like. So we, we integrate with the calendar and we don't just write on the calendar, which is like the typical way that most products do. We actually read from the calendar, we try to understand what does your day look like, what type of events tend to impact your stress levels the most. We help motivate you around you know your better sleep habits, better movement habits, better stress habits around your even even your events. We're trying to essentially create behavioral change and improve behavioral habits around health by empowering people to be more productive and more performant with the things that they care about in their life. I've been in the health tech and healthcare space for some time. I, I had a lot of amazing coaching, a lot of amazing direction. I was fortunate to be very well educated in what to eat, how to manage my body, how to understand the implication of decisions in my long-term health. But then I started working on a pacemaker. And one of the most formative kind of moments in my life there was going and visiting with um, a hospital called UCLA Torrance, speaking with surgeons who were working on patients with metabolic illnesses. Specifically, one surgeon said he had performed... uh, I think uh, 14 amputations in in a single week. And just going around and seeing these people and seeing that, you know, metabolic illnesses very much so we know now are are lifestyle driven. So that was already getting me to the point of like saying, I wanna do something that's gonna help empower people to make better decisions day day by day. More recently, I worked on an an FDA product uh, for home testing, specifically for COVID-19. So I was on the diagnostic side, but still, I felt it wasn't there yet. I wanted to get even further support daily decisions. So basis was a combination of those experiences, but also personal ones. So I went through a bit of a burnout, very much so a byproduct of me just not having uh, an ear on what was going on in my body while pushing myself both competition and and work. And then also just personal losses, you know, people who were cleared from uh, from doctors, from periodic exams, and that wasn't actually what was going on in their body. They were actually much sicker than than what a, a once a year test could, could uh, diagnose. So a combination of all that led me to want to build like a, a personalized biofeedback solution, basically. So something that's essentially you can pull out from your pocket and you can see what's going on in your body and it can give you the direction you need to, to make the next best a health-related decision for yourself.
1: So, tell me about the MVP. So, that first product you built. How long did it take you to build? And what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life?
0: So, funny enough, I, I, I've I've done a lot of MVPs in my life. I've I've shipped products. I've I've obviously done many of the mistakes of waiting very long time before I ship, not shipping at all many times, <laughs> uh, just just keeping uh, validating. With this one, I, I literally just started putting together insights. I, I, I was I, I was doing my own data science on my own data, so I was testing different uh, recommendations. I was extrapolating the data in a way that that I could show people how it was working for me. So I started doing different things that I knew people would relate to. So, for example, one of my the most popular things I did that that generated quite a bit of traction was I did a five day water fast and I just published all my data. To this day that that post gets a lot of traffic and I got, a lot of, I got to speak to a lot of people because of that who wanted to understand more about both my experience but also understand more about the how I was getting those insights and those kind of like that guidance about what was going on in my body. Just doing that without having any software built from the get-go, just validating what, 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 what would people be interested in getting access to? That was my MVP. <laughs> so there was nothing there. It was just me doing things on, with my own data, posting it and seeing how people would react. Um, surprisingly, I did other ones that I thought would do well that didn't. And then from there, I spent two, three months just having customer interviews, understanding pain points. Yeah, then I built an MVP with, a, I hired a, an iOS developer, built an MVP, super, super MVP in three weeks and started Trying to see only only thing something that people would be willing to pay for. Generally, people are you, you can appeal to them that uh, to, to their kindness. They might download your product, say that they're using it, and you know just as a as, as a courtesy. But until you get someone to actually pay for something, you're not really getting the full truth. <laughs> with the MVP
1: with the iOS developer, you, you took kind of your your market research MVP your validation MVP and then you built it you know you you probably had to work through some you know decisions and trade-offs about what you were going to include in that first iOS app so tell me about some of those that you had to work through and how you coped with those decisions
0: the product roadmap is always expanding there's always so many ideas that you want to put in there I started. I actually stumbled a couple times trying to launch features that I was excited about. That eventually, by the time they made it in the product, they had little to no impact on engagement and even, you know, additional customer acquisition. After after stressing quite a bit about uh, pushing those those feature uh, updates in the beginning and just just seeing that that wasn't the right way, uh, I, I hired a, a user research person first, who helped me go through customer discussions together helped me understand what to pay attention to. I found that that was probably one of the most important lessons I've had over the last two years is just separating truth from courtesy again. And uh, every week I with my team, I now I review all the findings. We identify two features and we let our users vote for what's gonna go in. So we already know that it's something that people will actively use.
1: So then you've got your MVP, and and you've built it and you know it's it's working how did you progress the product from there and and how did you mature it i think i'm most curious about how you built your roadmap and how you went about deciding okay this is the next most important thing to build
0: yeah, so actually I had an interesting decision to make early on. So one of the key features we built was uh, glucose tracking. I don't know if you've come across any of the um, very recently successful products in, in this space. So maybe Levels as a, as, a, as a brand. That was something that we were doing early on and it was doing really well. I mean, we were, we were selling and people were super excited about it. Uh, we had a high net promoter score. But at the end of the day, the behavior that I saw within the users that were coming for that product was that they were coming in for one or two months or even worse, they were waiting until they would have a healthy string of events happen. So, for example, I'm going to go on a trip. I'm going to wait until I come back from my trip or I'm not really healthy right now. I'm going to wait until two months when I'm healthier. Those were the kind of things where as much as I was trying to push people to change that mindset I realized that it was making people it wasn't I wasn't in basically helping people get better for long, the long term they were just using it to get some additional information in the short term so I had to cut a very successful feature for my product because I didn't feel that it would it was the right fit for my long-term vision as, as I was growing the demand for supporting existing users while also growing the brand and growing uh, the user base kept Becoming, it, it became unsustainable for me to manage. I started as a single founder, and um, I was lucky to find, you know, three exceptional co-founders. Um, two of which I knew from uh, a long time, from from actually back home. Excellent data scientists th- themselves, ex-athletes. So. Basically, everyone on the team is an ex-athlete, ex-data uh, scientist, and ex-military. Uh, so we've, we've had a lifetime of optimizing performance while also looking at health data. So it, that, that really helped kind of make things more streamlined for myself and, and fit me into a role that I, I was more fit with um, pushing the company forward. I'm going to
1: ask a question again about team, and, and you, you might repeat a lot of what you just said, but I want to extend it into the full team and I want to know how you went about building your team and, and what did you look for in those people that indicated they were the winning horses to join you either either the founding team or you know any of your team members that are that are non-founding
0: the initial team members were contractors so uh, before I had other co-founders um, and a tactic that I had learned from from building other products was uh, it's super important to find the right people to work with from the get-go so I, I, I built a process of multiple tests, paid tests that I use with contractors to validate whether they're the right person. The first two people I hired that are still with the company had to pass a series of tests that does a couple of things. Number one, you're paying them. So obviously the good, good talent won't, won't do those tests unless you actually pay them. And second of all, the fact that they're going through multiple steps kind of brings them closer to you and, and you know that they'd be committed to it. But moving beyond that, you know, beyond contractors, you need to have a real team if you're going to build a venture-backed uh, business and a large business. So when I was looking for my co-founders, I was looking for people who had similar experiences to me and a similar passion and vision to changing the space. And you know, I was I was lucky to have been around people like that, uh, people who had been ex-athletes, ex-military, spent years doing data science. I, I was at Stanford, so we have like a, a very very good data science background. It was about four months into the company's founding that we kind of all came together and decided that this was a vision that we all wanted to work on together. We went through uh, a process of revamping some parts of the product to kind of obviously, like you have new people come in, they have their own vision and ideas like for for certain parts. Over the last uh, three to four months, it's been just single vision execution focus. Everyone's just excellent at what they do.
1: Let's flip to scalability then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one to that first app you built? Or are you fighting this as you grow and gain traction?
0: I feel that I've done the focus on scalability thing, mistake, at least in my case. Uh, I've experienced it as a mistake a few times. To this day, it's not built to scale, to be honest. I mean, yes, the AI parts are, but we still do a lot of things that are not scalable. For example, we still do manual onboarding. So we're several hundred users in, and we still spend a significant amount of time doing manual onboardings and doing manual support throughout the week. We have multiple engagement loops that require communication with our users. And we feel that that's just a necessity uh, for, for this. Like we we set a, we set a goal for the first uh, uh, couple thousand users. We're going to do it this way. Obviously it's making us grow slower, but we're learning so much. We're understanding the nuances that every single person, like the, the challenges that people have when, when they're onboarding, we're understanding the challenges they have with the, with the information we're giving them. How does it fit or not fit in their life? And we're actually using that, those communication now to build even conversational AI that we wouldn't have been able to unless we actually participate in those conversations ourselves. So definitely not, not built to scale from the beginning, not even focused on scalability just yet. Uh, right now, it's just a matter of finding, you know, some level of product, product market fit. And when that happens, then we'll, we'll focus on the scalability part. So as you step out on the balcony and you look across all
1: that you've built so far, what are you most proud of?
0: This is probably, from all the projects I've done, this is the one that excites me the most about what it could be. It's not there yet, of course, uh, it's, uh, it's very early. But when I think of what, what would otherwise make me get me uh, excited about life and, and trying to build would be exactly what I'm working on right now. And I feel excited that when I hear people tell me specific decisions, that basis um, help them improve, how it's making them more performant, and generally those, those things excite me. I'm really proud with the personal stories. I mean, you know, we have, we've had users tell us this is a magic trick, you know, being able to understand what's going on in my body to this level, uh, or being able to understand the distinction between, you know, when my body's gonna have the least amount of energy in the day, uh, and when I'm gonna be the most energetic. Just things that were almost like, we're essentially lifting the hood to show you what's going on in your body, and helping you make the decisions of the optimal time to do things every day. Those are the type of micro-decisions that, over time, have a, a compounded effect. For, for the users that have been around the longest, they've experienced you know, a much more streamlined and organized and, and uh, performant life. And that, yeah, that, that, that excites me. And looking at our positioning in, in a space where we're very bullish on the fact that, over the next decade, user-generated health data, so like from wearables, will become the primary way we make health decisions. We, we were super excited at being in a position to support an entire generation's, you know, decisions on their health.
1: <laughs> Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: I think the biggest mistake, the most consistent mistake, and I think something that obviously wasn't situational, more like process, was um, focusing on, on feedback from the wrong people. And the, the, there's two types, there's two categories of wrong people. There's wrong people in the sense that they're your friends and they're gonna lie to you. <laughs> or they're very close to you and they're gonna lie because they, they wanna give you good feedback. And then there's the uh, just focusing on the wrong target persona. We made both of those mistakes. We moved pretty quickly from the friends uh, and family type mistake. And it took us a bit longer to adjust to the other one because we also had to figure out who's the ideal persona. But it, it's, it's, it's day and night when you, you know, how it impacts you when you speak to people who aren't your ideal customer versus speaking to people who are basically already looking for this, right? It just energizes you in a different way and it, it gives better guidance to the product. Like you run the risk of building features that people don't even want to use if you're getting feedback from the wrong people. Yeah, and, and I think with uh, with hiring too, that's something that I've made a lot of mistakes in the past. I would bring people on board and not let them go if, if it wasn't working. You're not just working with skill sets, you're working with personalities and processes. Everyone's got their own systems, right? And we brought in some really talented people early on that just weren't a good fit with our culture and we just had to move on really quickly. And, you know, that's one of the things I'm proud that we did. But yeah, that's an example of a mistake we, we identified very quickly and, and acted on. I mean, the wrong person can make you not want to work on your own product. <laughs> That's the truth. Like going into building the product that you're excited about, it can make you not want to, uh, you know, make you want to jump ship. Um, so I think, and it can make other people do the same. And it's super stressful dealing with a bad culture. So I've I've had that experience in the past, and you know, I'm I've learned to be very very fast and swift with um, le- letting people go. But of course, always in a in a you know, in a way where it's it's in their best interest anyways as well.
1: well. What does the future look like for Basis Health the product and for your team?
0: There's a number of different ways we can go. Um, we're still exploring them as as we go as as our users go, I would say. We haven't officially launched yet, but we are planning to launch in the next uh, 2 to 3 months at most. So that would put us like at the beginning of the summer. We have a lot of decisions to make in terms of how we support existing um, uh, health data sources. Uh, So genomics is a a big next step for us. There's additional wearable data points that are gonna come over the next couple of years. We just think that as long as we continue to build a system that allows people to passively make the optimal decisions for their health every day and continue to be very contextually aware. So when I say that, I mean, we have the ability because of data today to know that you're home or you're at work. We have the ability to know if you're busy, if you're not. We have the ability to know, you know, have you slept? Are you stressed? There's all these things that we know in real time, continuously about every single one of our users, and we can support better decisions. And that's only going to increase. We're going to get more data points. So for us, the exciting thing is just getting so so good at understanding what's going on that it almost feels like magic that you just really feel that this is a hack in your life that you've been given access to, um, to make your life just much so much easier and optimal. For us, again, it's, it's just a matter of continuing to grow with, uh, within the, the growth of the space itself and supporting our users in, uh, in what they're looking for.
1: Let's switch to you, George. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person that you look up to and why.
0: There's obviously external influences, probably a very cliche thing. Um, you see a person like Elon Musk who who is very driven on things that aren't just about you know at least on the on the outside about uh, what's going to make the most money, but also what's going to have the most transformative impact on the way humanity functions, and I think those you know those kind of traits really resonate with me. There's a lot of athletes that I take um, as as an ex athlete. I've kind of grew up in a culture where I take a lot from athletes from the competitive edge from their team building thing so looking at you know leaders like uh, being in Los Angeles Kobe LeBron I get to see how they continually try to lead their teams and coaches just basketball for me is a, is a big source of just uh, translating inspiration from sports into business just constantly looking at how do I how do I put every single one of my team members and myself in the best position to win and how do I continue how do we continually have growth uh, and then from a, from an from a tertiary standpoint. My the previous people I've worked with, I've learned from every single one of them. I've taken something from them. Uh, my ex-business partners, um, ex-advisors, investors, every single one has has left some imprint on how how I think, how I empathize with, with everyone, users and the and, uh, teammates and investors. I, I think it's just a mix of everyone. And obviously you have your personal life. I'm lucky that in my, my personal life, my family, everyone is you know very supportive. I think it's very tough when you're an entrepreneur. Uh, if you don't have people who uh, accept the, the, the unstructured nature of being an entrepreneur, uh, it can get really tough and add extra stress. I'm lucky that the people in my life support me. Yeah, these, these are the things that I, I guess really form how you function as a person.
1: We talked about a mistake earlier, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: One thing that I don't know that I would have done it differently, but I think one one thing that um, I've I've thought of many times if I would have done differently would have been working with uh, a really exceptional tech team from the get go. So not being a founder, so I had an opportunity early on to join Coinbase when it was very early, and I (laughs) I didn't join. I, I opted to build my own my own business. I think the founder journey has been one of the most exciting things Like I've learned so much and it, it helps you grow in a way that people don't understand unless they actually do it and, and do it repeatedly. Or just the process of having to refine a product to survive, it's just something that puts you in a in a mindset that it's very rare to achieve in, in most other disciplines or, or functions in the world. Um, But I I would have, you know, if I would have done things a little bit different, uh, maybe I would have explored working with a really exceptional tech team and leadership uh, when I was very young. Because I think that would have probably uh, cut down on some of my mistakes, you know, for about about half a decade's worth of founder mistakes. But that's just a guess. Like, you never know. (laughs) Well, last
1: question, George. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you, right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit?
0: I feel that that's happened to me a couple of times, just uh, on the way back and forth from uh, San Francisco. It's <laughs> <I think>. awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I guess it really, um, uh, there's a few different uh, pieces of advice I would give depending on the person. Um, I think common mistakes, and, and I've and I've mentored, advised uh, different startup competitions and and, and incubators. Um, some of the mistakes that I see is, is just not validating the idea correctly, um, building before you actually know that people want this. So I think that's a common mistake that people would, um, would show. Another big one is just focusing on fundraising. I think, that, I think that's probably the most common one, just being so hyper-focused on fundraising um, as, a, as a metric, where in fact it's not meant to be a metric. It's just meant to be something that supports you. When you already know that you have something that's a that could be a winner down the road so um, i think that's something where you also see the market has really adjusted in the last couple of years they especially with consumer products they want you to actually have some level of traction or at least a validated prototype before they'll jump in and invest in you so um, i guess demystifying kind of like dispelling some of the myths around how easy it is and how exciting and, and sexy it is to just build a venture back startup. Uh, those are the things that I've, I typically like to focus on. And, um, and I guess the other big, big one is focus on bringing amazing people on your team that you want to work with. Like it, it just like many other things in our life, it's all about what's between, you know, between like uh, in our brain, how, who you, who you go to battle with every day is, uh, makes all the difference. Oh, that's fantastic.
1: Well, George, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Basis Health. Thanks so much for having me, Noah. Thanks. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash code story for just five to ten bucks a month.